Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's up, Archons? Welcome to yet another episode of Help from Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast. My name is Alex, a.k.a. Scuzzy Gruen, and I'm joined by my Keyforge pals. Blake, and I go by Boulevard Paper Fight. And I'm Rick, the Wheeling Keyforger. All right. So, gentlemen, I know that because we all played together last week, you've had a little more time to get a feel for the Age of Ascension. I have not been able to play as much as I would have liked. I have a bunch of stuff come up in my life basically right at the time the set was released. So I've been just itching to try and get more games in. But I know you guys have been able to, to get out and play a little bit more than I have. And I wanted to ask you, we got sort of our first takes last week, just sort of our first initial. We played a couple of games with the new set and we sort of have these impressions forming. And I wanted to ask you straight up, have your impressions evolved or changed any since that very, very first impression that you got of Age of Ascension as a set? I would say I'm seeing things that I thought would be less powerful that are definitely more of a threat than I had first originally thought, yeah. Really? So, like, mechanics or specific cards or... Um, just lots of strong, much stronger threats on the field that I that I haven't uh, been taking paying as close attention to them as I should be. Yeah, and for for me, I I think I was way off base. I basically, the first five decks I opened uh, were just actually bad decks. It had nothing to do with the set. And that's going to happen from time to time is you're going to open a bad deck. It just happened that my first five decks were all really bad. Um, and that was the reason. Like, some of them are fun, but they're they're not really putting in any work in the sense of uh, getting those those Ws that you would want. But since then, I've opened up a couple of really good decks, including the best deck that I have. And uh, I'm starting to realize the power of this. And this one deck I have was literally having no trouble with Call of the Archons, with the Age of Ascension. It just, it's a good deck, is a good deck, and it doesn't matter the set. They've, they've made it so that uh, there's really cool interactions. So there's definitely much more of a board state. And there is less of Ember Control, but it's not as, as less as I think we originally thought when we discussed last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the games that I have had to play since the last time we recorded, I really do feel like my impression that Repatriate and uh, uh, Amber Hate were strong in this set, and that has held really true for me. The games that I got smoked on last week were the ones where I never got those pieces into play, and the ones that I did well on were when I got those pieces into play early. So I'm talking about cases where, uh, just to give you an example, um, there's little Rapskull in Brobnar. He's a uh, two-power creature. He's elusive, and what he says is, if you use a creature, it has to be to fight if possible. Meaning that doesn't matter how many creatures my opponent has out, he has to use them to fight until he takes out little Rapskull. So he either forces you to deal with him, or in the case if you have a strong Brobnar board on your own side... You can then use those pieces to take out your opponent's board, and then once that's been taken care of, since they can't fight if able, you can then use them to reap. So it's a really deep mechanic, and it is a thing that I've been thinking about a lot in terms of the way various mechanics like this have is Keyforge feels like much more of a puzzle. I think, Blake, it was you who said last week that uh, Age of Ascension feels very much like it's a combo player set, and I would agree with you because so many of the cards in the set, good, mediocre, whatever, rely on there being sort of a level of complexity that you need to think around. And I really am starting to like that about the set, despite the fact that I have not been ultra successful with the decks that I've opened. 
Yeah, I've I kind of feel that uh like looking back now it almost like the more I'm playing with Age of Ascension, I feel like Call of the Archons is a much simpler set. Agreed. And, and it's almost like this was intentional. It's and and it's because this is a new game and everyone's getting used to it, so it's going to be more straightforward. You're going to be able to see things more uh more just in your face and obvious of what you should be doing. Uh there are some obviously that aren't, but uh Age of Ascension I think has way more combo potential and interaction and it's because it's the next set so our level of understanding is greater so therefore they're now making it more complex for the interactions and i think that's what we're starting to see now and that's why on first look you're just like oh what is this rick i'm interested in your perspective as a person who has played i think more key forge probably than anybody else i know probably and you've played (laughs) extensively from Call of the Archons, basically from the moment it was released, you've been playing tons of Age of Ascension over the course of the last couple of weeks since the set came out. And I know that you've had experience to play a couple of different decks. Um, do you feel like you spend a lot more time thinking about your plays when you're playing in Age of Ascension? Do you feel like that's sort of a, a part of the gameplay now that's much deeper when you're putting cards out and when you're trying to figure out how your turn's going to work? I've actually, me and Blake had a chat yesterday, um... I've been noticing, and so is Blake, that I'm still in the mind of a Magic player when I play. I'm going to have to start paying more attention to how I play and not just go on Magic Instinct and look for creatures and whatnot. I have to look at the board state and, yeah, I got I to gotta redevelop my whole play strategy, but... I'm I'm definitely liking the set more than more than my first play. The more I play, the more I like it. So initially, you weren't feeling the set quite as much. It just seemed I was losing very quickly, and I just got very salty. So, but that's my own that's my own personal flaw. I just I'm very competitive. I, don't know. I think that's. It's a uh, it's a natural reaction, especially too when you feel like you barely had a chance to even get to know how the game works, and suddenly you're on the losing end of it. That is very true. All right, well, um, why don't we go into our newest segment we're going to start doing, and we're calling it the over under. And uh, these are cards that, as we come across with new sets, and even maybe ones from older sets that we're seeing in a new light, uh, that are overperforming or underperforming. So, um, Alex, why don't you kick off with the one that you found was either over or underperforming? I didn't think anything of this card when I first looked at it. I was really taken more with a lot of other cards that I think were a bit flashier. And it's only once I started to play it that I realized how much potential this card has. It's the ZYX Researcher. So folks are probably familiar with the three ZYX cards in the Age of Ascension. You've got Project ZYX. Uh, who's a big five uh, power creature with one armor who says fight reap you may play one of your archive cards as if it were in your hand and in the active house crazy good power you've got the director of zyx three power creature elusive at the start of your turn archive the top card of your deck pretty good useful power you get archiving turn over turn however of course maybe you're missing out on that card that you could have been drawing next turn but you'll get access to it one way or the other zix researcher the smallest of the group. Here's Zix Researcher's deal. He's a two-power creature. He's common. Play, archive the top card of your deck. All right, whatever. Or the top card of your discard pile. Didn't think a thing about this until suddenly I realized, wait a second, that means I can play another good Logos card 
play ZYX Researcher and get to play that card again as early as next turn. I was able to do that with like a Binite Rupture, which is a card that I think is, uh, you know, one of the wackiest in this set in terms of just crazy swings that you used to get in Call of the Archons. And it was able to actually carry me to a victory with a sort of an underpowered deck that I was playing with. So I got to say, ZYX Researcher, not the most impressive on paper, if you will, but in actual play, him allowing you to get almost immediate access to a card that you've already played once from his house, that's super useful and cool. Rick, how about you? Which one is on your uh, your over or under? Um, definitely my over, and this is partly my own fault for not taking no- more notice of it, but the Lion Valtrum, it's just a beast. It's four power, one armor, and it gives, it's got deploy, so you can put it anywhere in the battle line that you want, which I love that, I love that mechanic, but it gives each of its neighbors plus two power, and it just, it wrecked me two games in a row yesterday. So where were they placing the the Lion Bertram? Was it like to protect bigger assets? Was it to give a boost to like other fighting creatures? Was that the kind of play you were seeing with it, or was it more like a protected, you know, keeping sort of a low power creature, giving it a little more juice to keep it alive for a little bit longer. Oh no, it was, it was fully, at least in one case anyways, not sure. I can't remember exactly how Blake used it, but I know in the other case, it was definitely to pump up and kill my board a bit. Cause I had a decently strong board at that point. It was Blake who was using it against you. Blake who's on this very podcast with Blake us right is now. One of the two people that played it against me. Yes. <laughs> It's a good card. Amazing. At some point, we are going to have to have the help from Future Self, like, internal oh, yeah. tournament, where, yes. like, we do reversal with just the three of us and actually see, you know, play each other with each other's best decks and see if we can do a measurement of pure skill. That's neither here nor there. Blake, what's your over-under? So, um, mine was, I was, I would definitely say the Yerks. Uh, it doesn't matter which one, depending on what you have, but... The Yurks definitely performed better than I originally thought because I thought they were just powerful and you had to discard cards as like kind of a power creep sort of thing. So you kept them in check. And then I started to realize how they actually work so well. And they're, I think, one of the best turn one cards you can play, whether you go first or you go second. Because if you're going first and it's your one card and let's say you have an ancient Yurk, which is the six power rare version, it says play, choose and discard three cards. The old Yurk is a five power and you play choose and discard two cards. And then the common Yurk is a four power and it's choose and discard a card. And the reason why I like this, especially the ancient Yurk in a starting hand is if you're going first, you have the seven cards. You can only play one. That's the rule. So you play it, you can discard three cards and therefore refill your hand up. So sometimes you get a hand where you're like, oh, I really like these cards, but I'm getting these cards too early and they're not going to help me now. So just get rid of them and keep those really powerful cards. And then you get to draw more. Uh, to to do that and then if you're going second with it it combos amazingly with a card called exhume which is a dece these are all dece by the way and this is a dece action card called exhume you get an ember for playing and it says play choose a creature in your discard pile you may play that creature as as if it belonged to the active house and was in your hand so you can essentially on that turn one get rid of uh, whatever creature you you want and it has a playability maybe or you just want to get it into play for next turn you're setting up mm-hmm. and you can use that exhume to follow up the yerk to put that creature right into place you discarded it and now you get to play it as if it was part of the house so i just found that combo and the ability to craft your hand more on turn one uh really powerful and go through your deck that much faster 
One thing that I don't think we've talked about a huge amount, and I haven't really seen a ton of discussion about, is the amount of discard-related effects in this set, and I think a lot of them are set up for specifically that kind of play. Get rid of a bunch of cards, uh, and then being able to bring them back, or literally just high-deck cycle strategies. And I think you're going to see a lot of the powerful decks are the ones that can really craft hands very quickly by discarding cards, but also have the ability to bring those cards back when needed. Um, I'm just looking through some of the cards that have interesting discard effects in this set, and there's a couple that I look at, and I'm just like, that's insane. Uh, Earthbind. That's uh, an upgrade that, uh, or sorry, not Earthbind, rather, Gravid Cycle. It's an Omega card. Play, return a card from your discard pile to your hand. So literally, as you're finishing up your Untamed turn, you play Gravid Cycle as an action. You get a pip of Amber for it, and you get any card out of your discard back into your hand, and presumably you can set it up so that you can either do the same cool things you've already done this turn, or add a piece to a combo that you're going to be doing next turn. That's super powerful. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, for I also thought um, Ronnie Wrist Clocks was just it's just a ridiculous card. Uh, it's it's the uh, Shadows creature. When it comes into play, you steal an Ember. But if they have seven or more, you steal two. Uh, it's a playability, and it only has two power, so it's it's not very sticky. And if you have ways to get that back, again, Exhum. It's like it's like I have a deck that does have Exhum in that, and it's like my number one target. I'm looking to to play that and let it die as fast as possible, so I can get it back. Uh, I just find I always thought that card was going to be great. And it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, have either of you guys seen Rigged Lottery yet? No, I haven't. I remember like seeing it briefly, but I can't remember what it does. All right, so here's the deal with Rigged Lottery. It's a Shadows card. It's an action. One pip of Amber for playing it. Play. Each player discards the top five cards of their deck. For each Shadows card discarded, its owner gains one. Ooh. Amazing if you're not playing against Shadows. Amazing if you're not playing against Shadows. Potentially very troublesome if you are playing against Shadows. But I do think that that's a huge combo enabler, very much in the same way that you're talking about, Blake. If you've got Exhum, if you've got other ways, like, say, Glimmer, the uh, yes. creature that you know allows you, if it's an alpha untamed creature, play, return a card from your discard pile to your hand. Like, There's so many ways to get benefit from discarding, craft your hand, and then get access to the cards that you got rid of. Not to mention the more archiving that exists as well. So it's that same thing you're crafting your hand because you can now archive more easily and it just works the same way. So if you have a way of working with your archives and your discard, you're just basically having that much greater card pool to work with that you know what's there. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. One of the things that we used to see in the first set is that cards that had that super high cycle, uh, you know, basically either discard or the ability to play a large number of cards over the course of a turn. So we're thinking like library access decks, ones that rely on those sorts of combos, oftentimes would run away with the game just by pure card advantage. And card advantage, of course, looks different in Keyforge than it does in other games because you're always refilling your hand. Card advantage in Keyforge is literally almost the case of, can I get enough cards to play a large number of cards next turn into my hand and reap the amber and board control benefits thereof? And I feel like this set is just ripe for combos that really take that into account to be present i just haven't played enough games yet to really identify what the key pieces for such a combo would be i'm i've started to see them but i still don't feel like i understand them well enough to be proficient again i still believe that you don't 
you don't truly um you haven't even been introduced to your deck yet until you've had 10 games and even at that point i think i think you need to be playing like i think at 50 is at the point where you can really start to say like i i start to understand this deck you don't know your deck yet but you understand your deck and then it's when you hit 100 that's when you actually know your deck and based on people i've heard who have won and things like that they're they're in those hundreds of games played and they're winning with it because understanding what works what doesn't and the knowing when to hold them and when to fold them um that's kind of a really big thing because um some some of the top players just say that you're either playing or you're discarding sometimes holding a card is not even an option so i find that really interesting very much so very much so indeed it is a game that i think is very much about because it has so many interactions between the different cards and so much potential for combos, it's not just about being able to identify the strength of cards, it's being able to identify that synergy. We've known that forever, and now those synergies are so much different in the new set that it's going to take us a long amount of time until I think we can really truly identify exactly what the best synergies are, where those best uh, uh, combo pieces are coming from, and what to look out for if you're playing in sealed or if you're just opening up a new deck for the first time. All right, it is time for our traditional closing segment. We call this one... Help Help from Future Self. self. Do either of you have a help from future self this week, a upgrade in your play moment, one of those little eureka moments that uh, basically taught you something about the game that you had not thought about as of yet? So my help from future self moment actually happened yesterday. So I was playing this game with a new deck uh, that I that I just got um, the day before. And we kind of, after we did our chain bound, we all wanted to stick around for one extra game. And we all had decks that we hadn't played yet. And everyone just cracked them. I just sleeved it that morning. So it was brand new. And um, the organizer was like, okay, I'm going to put 45 minutes on the clock as if it was sealed. And let's just play this game out. So I played this deck. And the key points of this deck is it has a bronze, a bronze key imp and a gold key imp. And so I was like, hmm, I really want to see how this works. So I managed to play a game where I set up a Sanctum board and then followed up with the Imps, uh, with the Gold Key Imp. And it worked in my favor because I was down two keys to one and I didn't have the Ember to go right away. And by putting that Gold Key Imp, I actually put it with a Chell, which uh, the Safeguard, which provides a Deploy, Taunt, uh, effect and I had two of the armor smiths in place. So all my creatures had two armor. Now these key imps, if you put a taunt creature that has four armor plus give it two armor, it is very hard to remove. And I basically locked out the game. And as the game went, it came to a stalemate where we went to time and it came to the most amber. And I didn't win because I had all these shenanigans on board. But the the moment I had was that I went the entire game, 45 minutes, only playing two houses. And I'd never done that before. I did not touch my Brobner house, which was my third house, and I had a hand full of it. And my opponent, for some, for some reason, kept using a subtle maul, which is an artifact that causes me to discard a card at random, which was I thought was very strange because he I wasn't playing any cards, but yet he was causing me to discard a card, which allowed me to then draw a card, which I wouldn't have had to do. He could have just locked me out by not doing that, which was interesting. But what I realized was I was so concerned with the current board state that I didn't realize that if I dumped my entire brobnar hand onto the board for one turn because it wasn't we were both locked out there was no way it was just reaping to get further ahead i actually would have done more damage in the long run and so playing your three houses 
sometimes you get to this point where you're in a panic trying to keep like hanging on by the skin of your teeth and you sometimes need to take that risk and play that one house especially if they don't have an answer right away and uh and just allow that turn to happen because these imps are deadly i have yet to play against them and i'm terrified by the prospect we'll jam a game soon (laughs) i actually just opened my display case today that i got and i'm excited to get key imps and play against them i don't think i got any in the in the 12 packs i got but still hoping i have a display box sitting on my shelf right now and i ordered it under the 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 idea that i was going to try and keep a sealed one of every set that comes out just to have them and then at some point in the future for us to have a crazy free-for-all like sealed from every set Mm -hmm. when there's like three or four or five sets out and i still want to do that but the temptation to open up that display box and start looking at decks is so real. It's so huge. And I, I don't yeah. know if I'm going to make it till next week, fellas. I might actually end up uh, cracking it open. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this has been another episode of Help from Future Self. I am Blake, and I go by Boulevard Paper Fight on both Twitter and Instagram, and that's BLVD Paper Fight. This is Rick, the Wheeling Key Forger on Twitter. I'm Alex Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and Instagram. Stay forging.